It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 675 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, March the 6th. I am your host, Sean Woodley of Raptors.com for the entire month of March. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you are checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. There is so much stuff for you going on over there. Uh, in particular, if you're a Toronto sports fan, if you are a Blue Jays fan and you're interested in the dealings of nature, Pearson, and those dealings tend to be at 104 miles an hour or so. Uh, AJ Andrews has you covered all through spring training and into the regular season for the Blue Jays. I'm very excited for this Blue Jays season. There you go. They got the young boys up, the thick lad at third base, thick Vlad at third base, I suppose. You've got Boba Shett just like cranking triples down in, uh, in Dunedin as well. Uh, lots of stuff to get excited about for the Toronto Blue Jays this season, and AJ has you covered over there. Also, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, the Leafs look like they're going to make the playoffs, at least. They are very much the uh, opposite watching experience as the Raptors. So if you're interested in the yin and yang of the Toronto sports fan experience, I highly recommend checking out Locked on Leafs with Mike DiStefano. You may know Mike from his appearances as Al's brother on Overdrive on TSN 1050. He does a great job over there. He also is one of the hosts of our national show on the Locked on NHL side as well. So make sure you're checking all those shows out and subscribing to rating and reviewing. It's very much appreciated when you do that. All right, on today's show, the Toronto Raptors are now officially going to be in the 2020 playoffs. They picked up their 44th win, clinched a playoff spot at the earliest date they ever have in franchise history with a 121-113 win over the Golden State Warriors in their first trip back to the Bay Area since winning the title just about nine months ago. And uh, it's just me today going to dive into that game. Lots of fun things from this one. It was, uh, I think, worth staying up to the break of dawn, basically. Basically, to watch the end of this game. Uh, it was a TNT game. It started like 15 minutes after it was supposed to because it was a TNT game and it went to about 115. So if you did not stay up, let me regale you with what took place in the Raptors 44th victory of the season. 
This was a game where the Raptors never quite pulled away. They never felt like they were out of control, but they never quite pulled away. And honestly, as someone who was invested in staying up until 1.15 to watch it, I'm kind of happy it was a close, entertaining game as opposed to a game where uh, the Raptors were up by a million in the third quarter and we're going to coast to victory. Uh, in part, the Warriors stayed close because uh, Steph Curry came back. And man, it's nice to see Steph Curry back. As much as it's terrifying when he's doing his like hitting 30-foot threes thing on your head, it was uh, really nice to see him back in the lineup. He had some nice chemistry with Andrew Wiggins, a couple of nice behind-the-back passes. Wiggins hit three threes all from the corner, and I one game had me believing that. I'm pretty sure Wiggins is going to be just like basically a more athletic version of Harrison Barnes with those Warriors teams, maybe a little bit less refined and reliable, but man, he, uh, I think is going to fit pretty nicely there. How could you not fit nicely against Steph Curry? That dude's amazing. Uh, and so that was cool to see. And there was a nice, uh, ovation when he checked back into the game, but there's also just not enough talent on that Warriors team for me to really be scared. Even with Steph Curry out there, uh, Juan Toscano Anderson and Marquise Chris and Damian Lee and Dragon Bender don't scare me all that much. Shouts to Canadian Michael Mulder who hit a couple threes in this game, but uh, just not a very talented team. So the Raptors, I don't think, were at, like, peak urgency for this game, which I think I've talked about before. I'm not ever uh, that concerned when the Raptors kind of dial it down for lower competition because uh, they should not be expending all of their energy for every single game. That's how you get injured and have players out of the lineup all the time. So I think, you know, them dialing it back and maybe not having the same sort of um, defensive killer instincts that they typically would have from start to finish against a better team. Not necessarily a bad thing to me. Late in this game, their defense really kicked up, and OG Ananobi in particular had three steals. I think two were in the fourth quarter, and he was uh, a menace, as he is wont to be on defense, and that was great to see. So we'll talk about OG a little bit later on, too. Uh, Pascal Siakam had himself a game. He had, uh, or, I mean, had himself a weird game. He didn't have himself a game, necessarily. Uh, he had himself a crunch time, where he had a couple buckets late, including an and one uh, when they started running pick and roll with him as the ball handler and that was cool to see we'll get to that and sort of the crunch time numbers and the takeaways from Siakam's game last night a little bit later on in the show as well but we should probably start off today's discussion with uh, a talk about Norman Powell who is maybe just the answer now when the Raptors offense gets sticky in the playoffs and is like the guy who can most replicate look I'm not saying he's Kawhi Leonard but maybe the guy who could most replicate like that sort of Late in the clock, all right, we need something from 18 feet. Maybe Norm Powell's the guy to get it? I don't I don't know. It's what's happening. It's like we're seeing the transformation before our eyes, apparently. Um, and Norm Powell continued his incredible season, you know, obviously with many fits and starts to injury, but 37 points, a career high for him on 13 of 20, shooting 4 of 8 from downtown, 7 of 7 from the line. For a while, he was flirting with like a Terrence Ross-esque line. Um, and shouts to Ross, who had 35 points and no rebounds, no assists a couple days ago. Um, I got many any notification for when uh, Worldwide Wob tweeted that one out uh, because uh, people, you know, they, they know where my bread is buttered. But uh, Powell ended up with three boards, two assists, three steals in this one. He was just remarkable. He was so locked in. He, again, the thing that was most encouraging is the way he can kind of hit from all levels at this point and the sort of diversification of his offense. He, just think back to when Norm was sort of this inconsistent enigma, right? It was always very dependent on the situation he was playing in. It was always kind of, a, a you know, he's going to be a one-track mind driver, and if he's got a lane to drive and finish with his left hand, then great. If not, things are going to get tricky. His three-point shot, a little bit sporadic early on. Now he's just a 40% three-point shooter for two straight years, and I guess that's just the way things are. And 
he has just like added so many different tools to his to his bag when it comes to scoring. And look, you'd like to see you know a bit better playmaking and things like that. But you're seeing those little incremental gains all the time with him this season. There were a couple beautiful driving kicks that he initiated last night. There were, and he didn't get assists for. I think he got secondary assists for. Um, and really, the thing that stands out is just the way that. He drives now so patiently. You know, think back to Norm in his first couple seasons where it wasn't patience. It was just, all right, I'm going to overpower you. I'm going to blow by you with my first step, and that's going to be how I beat you because I don't have much else in the way of refinement. Now he's just driving, seeing what the defense is presenting, and then sort of reacting to that. He's got like these ambidextrous finishes where he's going around defenders with his left. He's finishing with his right. He, you know, had a couple plays last night where he drove in the sort of the, the rim protector did a pretty good job of staying in front of him, so there was no clear path to throw it up off glass. And so he just kind of, like, stopped, was patient, you know, made a little step back, bit of a floater, and he has that going as well. It's not just the, you know, one to three foot range. He's got the four to six foot range down as well, too, with all these sort of different finishes. He had, like, I think his first bucket of the night was, like, a drive to the right, and then, you know, the the, the defender kind of cut him off, and he just, like, flipped it over from four feet <laughs> with, like, a beautiful amount of touch. And, you know, there was no glass at all. It was just like one of those Serge Ibaka-like push shots. And it's like, when did this happen? How did Norm develop all of this overnight? And it's not a bit overnight. It's been over the course of the season, obviously. But we're seeing lately... And his, since his return last Friday against the Hornets in the four games, he just he seems to have so many tricks in his bag. And that's really important. And we've talked about Pascal Siakam, and we'll get to the crunch time stuff with Pascal and the Raptors a little bit later. But we've talked about Pascal and sort of the the issues he's having in, in, the in, in between, right? And sort of the lack of that in-between score that... Kawhi was last year and the sort of way that he can kind of bail your offense when you have nothing at least you can fall back on all right that 18 footer is going to be going to be money from Kawhi you know 55% of the time or whatever it is that's great to fall back on when when you know the first three options on offense don't quite pan out the Raptors haven't really had that this season I think Kyle's been pretty good at sort of bailing the team out when need, when needed you know he's got a bit of a mid-range game sometimes obviously Serge Ibaka's mid-range game is important and that sort of pick and pop with uh, with Lowry for those 18 footers is a big way to sort of bail out the offense as well and find easy buckets is sort of the security blanket that the team seems to have but I'm not sure you want Serge Ibaka being sort of the crux of your offense when things get down in the playoffs we've seen you know, he can be a little bit erratic at times, and you don't want to be trusting that as much as he's a playoff performer and kicks ass in the playoffs, and I trust him with my life <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, I don't think you want that. And with Siakam still figuring out that in-between game, and he, you know, he's been working on it this season, right? He's working on those counters. He's working on that turnaround jumper, that Dirk step back and things like that. But he's really right now uh, sort of like a Mori ball player, right, where he's around the rim and he's shooting threes. And, you know, that also hasn't necessarily been the most accurate stuff lately for him either as he's going going through some troubles here and some growing pains. Um, and so Powell being able to sort of diversify things and just be this guy who can come in, regardless of the context that he's playing in, like the lineup he's in, he just seems at home all the time now. And, and that is the biggest change, right? Think back to you know what we've talked about all the time with Powell, how he's always been best as the fourth or fifth option, where he's not asked to create. He's just taking advantage of whatever the offense creates elsewhere and then exploiting whatever space is there left over. You know, he's always been better playing with starters. He's always been better playing with Kyle Lowry or, or, you know, in those Lowry and bench units or whatever. 
And he's just always struggled when he's been the guy off the bench. And there were times last night when the Raptors, you know, because they were a little bit short, didn't have Fred Van Vliet. They didn't really have a traditional point guard out there. It was Terrence Davis or Patrick McCaw or both. And Norm Powell was running the offense and, like, keeping the offense afloat, which he's never done before. And he's never really had the ability to be a number one option. And, look, I'm not saying Norm Powell is going to go in the playoffs and average 25 a game and be the bailout guy and hit all these, you know, clutch shots and be the guy that give the ball to when it's tied at 90 in game seven and you need a, a shot in four seconds. But I do think that when you get into the playoffs, you're going to want that sort of bailout option, the guy who can score against a set defense, which apparently Powell can do now. And it's just like so explosive. You set a screen for him and no one can keep up with him. And then he's sort of getting into the paint and doing his probing thing. And because he's so much more patient there, he's not wasting those possessions with sort of ill-planned, you know, forays to the rim. He's just making the most of them every single time. And so I think he's probably working himself into, like, must-finish territory, like, in terms of crunch time in the playoffs. You know, it's going to be, obviously, based on matchups, and Nick Nurse is not beholden to any one lineup or anything like that. But I do think, you know, when you sort of compare him, and I think Fred Van Vliet, who's probably the most likely guy to be hurt by this, assuming full health and everyone's available... Uh, you know, with Powell, you get that sort of quick strike creation. You get late in the clock bailout stuff that, you know, Fred is pretty good at as well, but not quite as proficient or as, uh, as sort of easy, right? It's a lot of work for Fred Van Vliet to find shots. He's not the same creator that Kyle Lowry is. He's not the same creator that Powell is just out of nothing. You know, he needs a lot of sort of dribble time. And, you know, again, I don't want to disparage Fred at all. He's excellent. But I think when you're talking about those like chips down moments, the way Norm can just kind of create something from nothing all of a sudden, and you know he's proven that he can do all season long at this point, I think that really will have to be on the floor in some way, shape, or form. And with the way Siakam you know, defends, and I don't think he's ever going to play himself off of the floor with whatever his offense is, and we'll talk about his crunch time in a sec and why you still need him out there. Um, and with the way OG is played defensively and how important he is, and, and the way, obviously, Kyle's not losing his spot, and I would assume Marc Gasol ain't losing his spot in crunch time either, unless it's to Obaka for, for whatever reason, for matchup purposes. But, like, Fred Van Vliet's the guy who stands out there. I don't I don't necessarily think, like, Norm needs to start in place of Fred. Like, Fred's are in that, that spot, and I don't see any reason that an injury should see him lose that spot because Norm's proven he can play wherever now, right? He's doing it, you know, both off the bench and as a starter. So I, I'm wondering if maybe... You know, just the the calculus is only really tied to crunch time. I wonder if maybe the extra size, the extra creation, the extra burst that that Powell might give you as an edge when you have those very good defenders in the backcourt for these other teams um, might come in a little bit handy late in late in games when things are uh, are really on the line. So, I mean, I'm not ready to sort of proclaim just yet that Powell should be ahead of Fred in the crunch time rotation because Fred obviously does a lot of good things. But um, and, you know, Fred's defense is always, I think, going to be better than Powell, although Powell is apparently just stripping balls from Steph Curry now, which is pretty cool. Um, but I think uh, it's definitely something to monitor if you're the Raptors and you're Nick Nurse. And I think uh, this this last 20 or so games here is going to be pretty telling as the playoff rotation comes into shape. And it's just it's one of them good problems because Norm Powell is playing out of his damn tree right now. And it is awesome. It's super fun to watch. It's really encouraging. Um, and just like it's it seems earned. He's one of those guys who, you know, works hard all the time, is constantly improving, really critical of himself. And it's really cool to see that he's sort of seeing the fruits of his labor now in this sort of very prolific fashion. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. 
Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Let's uh, dive into some other stuff from this game. Uh, I mean, Kyle Lowry was amazing. 26 and 10. That's just the line he puts up when he plays the Warriors on the road now, I suppose. Uh, we'll do so forever. That's pretty badass. Uh, Terrence Davis had uh, many a dunk, which is awesome. And uh, I mean, the two dunks he threw down. You heard the, the second one at the top of the show. Just, I, I he's, there's a long history of very good dunkers with the Raptors. I don't know if I've been excited about a dunker like this since Terrence Ross. I know Norm had his moments. I know DeMar had some big dunks. But, man, Terrence Davis just, like, I think it happened in the Suns game, too. And it was kind of like an understated dunk. But, like, he just can kind of rise out of nowhere whenever he wants from any spot on the floor. It's like, oh, yeah, no, he's jumping from there. And he's just soaring in like an airplane to dunk. That's fucking crazy. Um, And so I look forward to Davis adding to his sort of hallowed status which I mean he already is one of the better dunkers I've ever seen in a Raptors uniform but I'm curious to see with more minutes and more sort of bravado which I didn't know he could have but maybe he will continue to add to it um just the 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 audacity with which he'll try dunks in the future because man he's he's incredible I'm just blown away makes me weak in the knees I love a Terrence dunking man love a Terrence dunking regardless of if it's one R or two in addition to the dunks uh Serge Ibaka returned in this game he had a couple dunks himself in the the beautiful pick and roll fashion he typically does and he was great I I thought Serge was awesome in this one I thought his rim protection was really good and the Raptors defense was pretty porous overall in this one but I thought he made the Warriors work for a lot of things around the basket at least Um, maybe got a little bit bludgeoned on the glass but he was also the only guy who was grabbing any rebounds for the Raptors he had 13 boards 12 defensive in this one Uh, it was a much needed burst of uh, competent center play as much as Chris Boucher was amazing in the game against the Suns over the weekend uh, or whenever they played the Suns I have no idea what day it is even at this point but um, I thought Abaka just like it's so obvious how much more sort of steady everything is when he's there you're not relying on some sort of erratic performance from a guy you can't totally trust um, and you know I think we saw last night Boucher and Ronda Hellas Jefferson kind of you know, they, they didn't perform super well. Boucher only got eight minutes. He was a plus nine in those minutes, which is nice, I suppose, but I didn't really notice him very much. And Rondé is uh, kind of in a weird way right now, where he's just like falling down a lot, uh, more than more so than usual. I know Rondé falls all the time as is, but it seems a little bit more than usual where his feet are kind of getting ahead of his brain a little bit, and he's uh, just like hitting the ground. He was working the middle of the zone last night a little bit, and it just it was not super smooth and uh, I'm curious to see if his role starts to diminish here as the Raptors sort of gear up for the playoffs and get their rotation honed and hopefully get healthy here Um, and Ibaka coming back and playing the way he did last night was uh, quite encouraging and lovely to see and not surprising because he's been amazing all season long so uh, nice to see him back also should note that before the game, uh, you know, Gasol and Fred VanVleet were both listed as qu- uh, questionable during the day. They obviously were downgraded to doubtful and then out and did not play. But uh, maybe we're getting close to seeing both Mark 
and Fred VanVleet return, which would be lovely. So I don't know if that means they're going to be back, uh, you know, the game against the Kings on Sunday, or if it'll be after the trip or whatever, but I think we're getting close. Uh, and that's uh, really, really nice to see, and again, kind of uh, ominous, because whenever guys come back for this team, someone else seems to go out. So, knock on wood. Uh, all right, also in this game, OG Ananobi, we should probably talk about him quickly before we get into the crunch time stuff. Um, he had 14 points, he was 5 of 7, 3 of 4 from deep. He pretty much is like an automatic bucket whenever he posts somebody up now. He's gotten really good at sealing out deep position and is just so strong that no one can really move him off his spots and he continues to just like bulldoze people out of the way. Um, he, I mean, his defense is just absolutely off the charts right now and I think... Um, our, our friend uh, Brad at Too Much Hoops last night uh, made the point that the uh, the all-defense campaign for OG should be very much started. I agree. I think uh, with Yasmin on, on Wednesday, we talked about this and sort of how necessary it is for that train to catch up because, man, he's been unbelievable. And it's tough because there's so many good forwards that are going to be in the running for all defense, and we don't know how the listings are going to go with Anthony Davis and stuff like that. So there might not be a spot for, for OG. And if so, if the Raptors have to settle for a guard, I might say Kyle should be the next guy because, I mean, <laughs> Kyle's ridiculous. But OG is just so game-changing defensively. He just, he, you can't dribble near him anymore. It's getting near Kawhi-level stuff with him. And I, again, I don't want to do the comparison because obviously he's never going to be the, the Kawhi, you know, the offensive version of Kawhi. But the defense is there, and it's just, he's so comfortable lunging for balls and he doesn't foul when he's doing it he only had one personal foul last night he was at everybody's grill all night long he just seems to be really coming into his own on that end and making those extra plays in addition to the one-on-one defense that's always been good and steady and reliable now he's going above and beyond and just making those like extra credit plays where he's just just causing havoc and blowing up offenses on his own and uh man it's so fun to watch and he's also like been really efficient offensively lately and i I was curious with the return of abaka whether og was going to see his offensive role dwindle and it did kind of last night he only attempted seven shots i think he only attempted two shots in the first half both threes that he canned um and so that's something to watch because nurse has talked a little bit about og getting lost in the offense at times this season and when you have abaka out there in particular i think it's a little less pronounced when uh, gasol is starting just because Gasol so passed first and is ultimately like the fifth option when he's out there and is happy to be. Abaka needs to, to eat more and he will eat more. And that kind of, I think, more than anybody else, eats into OG's touch share and his shot share. And that can kind of lead to those moments where he disappears a little bit, I think, on offense. And then maybe that bleeds into defense. But um, nice to see him be opportunistic last night. You know, the transition, you know, leak out opportunities after he forces steals are great. And uh, he's it's gotten really fun watching him and Siakam run transition as well. I think they had the alley-oop dunk on the run against the Suns. I think there were a couple last night where, you know, OG started the turnover um, and then Siakam kind of uh, finished it off or vice versa. And uh, those two are just maniacs. It's great to see. So um, that's sort of the box score notes for all the other notable contributions from the game. Um, Patrick McCaw, <laughs> 24 minutes, 0 for 1, 0 points, 3 assists, I guess. That's fine. And was a plus 5. Um, but yeah, the, the McCaw thing's getting uh, to, a, I, th- I think, probably some sort of event horizon here as the Raptors get healthy because there's just not much happening out there. But he still plays 24 minutes, so who knows? Um, maybe he will just forever be in Nick Nurse's good graces, and maybe we should have accepted that long ago. Oh, and I should touch on Matt Thomas, I suppose, quickly. He's the last guy I have not hit on who played in this game. Uh, he played six minutes, had two points. 
he really feels like he's pressing and he feels you know how in like a, a video game when you're trying to sort of when you're playing say 2k and you're trying to telegraph points to a guy because you're trying to beef up their stats or whatever it really feels like that's what's going on with thomas where he's such a good shooter it seems like the team is trying to get him the ball a lot and thomas is just like not really ready for it he's not getting into positions where he's comfortable and maybe that's like on the team for force feeding him a little bit too much for matt thomas and maybe his shots should just come more in the natural flow of the offense as opposed to trying to utilize him so directly when he's out there but at the same time he's matt thomas like if he's not out there shooting threes what are you really doing he, he just he seems like he's not super comfortable and, and look I think a part of it is defenses now know that Matt Thomas is there that game against the Bucks probably changed things quite a bit um, for him in the scouting report and if he's showing up on scouting reports and so you know he's not some mystery player anymore now 60 plus games into the season but it definitely seems like he is really uncomfortable with the extra attention he's seeing and that makes me worry for his viability because he's not even really He'll get he'll get the ball. He'll have a bit of space. You know, you'd think maybe he can get a shot up. I think he had a three block last night that he tried to get up when he didn't quite have enough space. Uh, so again, kind of forcing. Um, and then when there's not room there, he'll just kind of dribble it around the perimeter and like try to find a handoff and then just sort of reset. He's not doing much, you know, to sort of I think help himself out very much. And um, there were a couple times last night where it came to him in a shooting position. He just wasn't ready. I mean, he was a trailer at one point. They found him on the trail and his hands were like down low um, and was not at all ready to take the shot. And it's just weird. It, I, and I'm sure he'll figure it out and I'm sure he'll counter what defenses are, are doing now in terms of extra attention. But uh, definitely... I was pretty sure a couple weeks ago that like, hey, Thomas can play in a playoff series and get some minutes and get some run. And now I'm a little less sure because it does feel like he's kind of a one trick pony at this point. And it's the one trick is amazing. Don't get me wrong. I love the one trick so, so much. But I think he's got to sort of be a little bit more shot ready. And the Raptors maybe have to stop force feeding him a little bit more and just have it be natural um, and not try to capitalize on every minute he's out there because it is infectious. Right. I mean, I think I talked about this from that Bucks game when he is hitting those threes I mean it does feel like the team is sort of lifted and feels better about itself and gets excited and the bench is pumped up but I think you kind of run into the risk with that of you know trying to force it to happen too much trying to make fetch happen as it were and it's just not happening right now for Matt Thomas this is Jake from Locked On Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history after beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Um, let's now dive into crunch time stuff. So this is the interesting thing from last night's game. Pascal Siakam was not good. Let's, let's 
say that. I mean, he was great against the Suns, had a fantastic performance, 33 points, super efficient. Um, not so against the Warriors last night. Really sort of rushed, I thought, around the rim, missed seven threes. That was a big part of his inefficient night. Um, and the three-point shooting is down at 36% on the season. I don't think it's going to drop too much further than that. I mean, he's had these oscillations. He'll have a 4 of 6 game uh, in response to an 0 of 7 game. I don't think we're in some sort of tailspin pattern with Pascal's three-point shooting, but it really last night highlighted the sort of, like, again, like I said, he's kind of a Mori ball player at this point, where it's either at the rim or it's threes, and it's, you know, he's trying to sort of find the balance between when to take each of those shots, and it's just not quite coming to him super easily all the time now. Um, But I will say... Even if he's had his, you know, his inefficiencies this season, I think he's down to 55.6 true shooting on the season, which considering his uptick in, in usage, I think is still totally just fine. Um, and, you know, nothing to be too, too concerned about because, again, this is a development season trying to figure out what he is before, you know, jumping to any conclusions. And I think next season will be the really telling year as to, you know, how much he learned this season and how much he could apply this offseason to improving on the things that he needed to improve. But... I think it's worth noting that he's a damn killer in crunch time, regardless of if he has a bad game. He seems very locked in when things get down. The Raptors start busting out like the the guard pick and rolls where you know Lowry or Fred Van Vliet will screen for him, and it's just unguardable. He gets he gets that head of steam downhill, and he's unstoppable. He had two finishes last night, one beautiful off glass, and then uh, picked up an and one as well late in the game, two really pivotal buckets, and he has been excellent in crunch time this season, as have the Raptors, and that is the thing I want to talk about here. So I think there's like. You know, some concern about the Raptors and how they're going to be able to make things work when things get down in the playoffs, how they're going to be able to pull apart good defenses. I think there is a growing statistical case here. We've talked about this earlier in the season, but now we're 60 games in and, you know, it's becoming more and more real and the sample size is getting bigger. The Raptors just seem to be able to get it done in crunch time. And, you know, they've had a lot of these close games against not so good teams where they kind of take the foot off the gas and the other team gets back in it. And we've seen these second half comebacks a little bit here and there, but they never relinquish those those leads. They always pull out those games and they always kind of put the foot on the gas when things matter most in the last five minutes or so. And we've seen it again in this Warriors game where... You know, the Warriors hung around, you know, Steph Curry comes back in and everyone's terrified and they get to within two, I think, and they might have taken a lead at one point in the fourth quarter, but the Raptors, when things matter most, walk in defensively, that opens up their offense because like their their defense becomes just like a terror when it when you get to crunch time and things just become a lot easier and they kind of go to these pet plays where, where it's Siakam getting screened screened for by the guards you know whether it's Lowry just sort of barreling into dudes you know Lowry's you know crunch time numbers this season have been ridiculous and it's you know leading to the Raptors winning all of these close games and look they're not going to play the Warriors in the playoffs ever you know every night but I do think it's worth noting that they have been, outside of the Bucks, the best team in the Eastern Conference in crunch time this season. The Sixers have actually been pretty good as well, and their defense has been uh, monstrous so far this season in crunch time. But, you know, there's a, hopefully a good chance the Raptors avoid the Sixers, so don't have to worry about that, I guess. Um, but when it comes to uh, what the Raptors are doing in crunch time, right now they're number five in the league with a plus 15.1 net rating, 116.8 offensive rating, 101.7 defensive rating. So they're really shutting teams down. Their true shooting percentage in, in crunch time is 61.4. Kyle's true shooting percentage in crunch time is 67. Uh, same with Norm Powell's. They're just like money inside and of course the nba.com clutch time stats are uh, last five minutes of the game within five points so it's a bit of a weird noisy sample but again the Raptors have now played 
26 of these games or something like that. Um, no, 32 of these games. They're 20 and 12 in games in that have these situations. And they they just seem to be able to to make things happen, even if you know they've had their struggles leading up to it. The pet plays they run, the defense and the floor their defense gives them, just gives them a pretty good platform upon which to, to, to perform when the chips are down. Um, you know, some of the net ratings for these guys in crunch time are ridiculous. Serge Bach has been sort of the worst guy among the main rotation guys. He's actually at minus 0.2, but you have Norm Powell's a 22.1 net rating in crunch time. You've got Kyle Lowry's a 15.6, Pascal's a 13.8, OG's a 17.4, Fred's a plus 12. Um, Fred's true shooting percentage in crunch time is 70.8. And when you just have all these options, you have so many guys who can shoot. I mean, the top seven or eight guys in the rotation are all excellent shooters. The worst shooter right now among the trusted rotation guys, plus Terrence Davis, um, you know, minus Patrick McCaw, is Kyle Lowry, who's at 35%. And, you know, again, he's 67% true shooting in crunch time. He's getting to the line a ton. I mean, he got to the line at will last night. He was 10 of 10 from the line. um, And he's just, he's making it happen. And again, I don't know how it'll hold up against elite elite defenses because the shot creation can be a little bit tricky and you know maybe teams really sort of get ready for that Siakam you know 4-1 pick and roll but I think there's enough on this team there's enough outlets there are enough guys who can take advantage when the defense loads up that they are able to sort of I think get by in a a bit of an unorthodox way this is not like I think like those Atlanta Hawks teams where they won 60 games, but they were never really that scary in the playoffs because there weren't, you know, guys who could could just like throw the ball to. Think about who the best player on that team was. It was like Al Horford, who's like not a crunch time type player at all. The Raptors at least have some guys who sort of fit that mold. Kyle Lowry can take over a game in a way like Jeff Teague could never do. You have Norm Powell, who we talked about in the top segment and what he's able to do and sort of the the refinement of his offensive game and how it changes the game. You've got Marcus Gasol, who can bang threes and pick and pop and sort of find those seams and sort of alt, you know offer alternate creation methods to what they would typically run if things get down and they do get creative. You know, Siakam has been excellent. Um, his true shooting is 56 in, in crunch time, which is right along sort of the lines of where he's been but like just anecdotally he seems very ready for the challenge of crunch time he seemed you know and you know he's been fine around the in in two-point range it's been threes for him at crunch time that have been uh, a real struggle but um, again that's a small weird sample and again all of this is small weird sample and we don't know we won't know until they come across a great team a great defense in the playoffs but I think there's enough here and the fact that they always have five shooters on the floor really sort of makes them at least a little bit safeguarded, I think, to some of those, you know, more loaded up and and geared to stop Siakam defenses just because, I mean, Siakam's gotten better with his passing. He had five assists last night. I think he had five assists in the game prior as well. And he, you know, even when he has bad scoring nights, he is playmaking at a pretty high clip. And I just think they have enough that, like, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be pretty. And I think their defense will have to be what saves the day for them in crunch time a lot of the time, which I think they can do. I mean, they've been amazing. They've been all season long. They're number two in defense in the league, and they've shown they've had that gear. And I don't think that gear is going away in the playoffs because that is the most transferable thing. Great defense is what transfers to the playoffs more than offense. And, um, you know, again, it'll be tricky. I don't think their net rating will be quite as, like, ridiculous as it is in crunch time in the playoffs because teams will be better and more, more prepared and just, you're not playing the Warriors, but I I kind of am believing a little bit in what this team is doing late in games because it's been a season-long trend against good and bad teams, really. I mean, they've they've been good in crunch time across the board. So um, that's, I think, all I really got for today. Some optimism for you when it comes to the Raptors late in games, uh, provided 
by their destruction of the Golden State Warriors last night. Love to beat the Warriors, especially in that new wretched arena where like the broadcast booth is all the way above the court because they needed all of the seats and all the real estate around the, the basket to give you know those seats to those horrid horrid silicon valley bros um and you know the the they literally have butlers in the lower suites i just get that late stage capitalism ass arena out of here but um nice to see the raptors do that and you know spoil steph curry's return and make warriors fans mad and uh, all that good stuff so uh that's gonna do it for today's show thank you so much for tuning in um keep an eye out to raptors.com i think my first piece for raptors.com is gonna drop today and i also have something else coming out on sunday for international women's day so keep an eye out there at raptors.com download the app get those push notifications when the stories drop i'm sure i'll tweet them out as well so go do that. Um, subscribe to, rate, and review this show wherever you get your podcasts. Obviously, check out the whole Locked On Podcast Network. If there's a team in sports that does the sports, we definitely have a podcast covering it, most likely. So go and uh, subscribe, rate, review, get that daily local perspective on your favorite teams uh, in addition to your Toronto Raptors. So that's going to do it. Thank you so much. Uh, later in the day, because we didn't have a podcast yesterday, I'm actually going to double up today. And uh, Katie Heindel is going to join me for a mailbag later this evening. So uh, send your questions in if you have not yet, and uh, we'll get to those. Obviously. Obviously, with Katie coming on the show, make sure the questions are weird, please, because that's the most fun thing to do with Katie is answer your uh, your bizarro freak questions. That's uh, it's, it's my favorite part of the week anyway. Um, so go and uh, send those in. That'll be up later tonight and you could probably listen to it more so over the weekend, but you'll have it sometime Friday if you're traveling into I don't know. I don't know where you're traveling on a Friday, but you know, whatever. Uh, if you're stuck inside from the snow, you can also listen to that as well. So uh, keep an eye out later. That'll come uh, probably around six or seven o'clock dinnerish time for the mailbag, and uh, then that'll do it. We'll be back again later today with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.